0: Hello, and welcome to Overinvested, a podcast about pop culture obsessions. I'm Morgan, and I'm here with my co-host, Gavia.
1: Hello.
0: And this week, we're going to be talking about the new DC film, Suicide Squad, which we both saw in the past couple of days, and uh, did not have a very positive response to, which I think is pretty much in line with most of the film critics of the world. But this movie is a really fascinating example of sort of a film that had a lot of hype leading up to it and a lot of reporting on the production process and then came out and seemed to kind of be a mess. So it's interesting to look at what might have happened there and then also we'll obviously be discussing at great length what wound up in the film eventually because it's sort of a fascinating disaster. I think it's the worst film I've seen all year, which is amazing because I did not imagine that anything could have beaten out Batman v Superman for that title, but DC has achieved this with the two movies that I hated the most this year so far. So, Gab, do you want to start us off by talking a little bit about the sort of like hype leading up to this movie? Because it was pretty insane and sort of, in a way, inexplicable.
1: This movie has been hyped for well over a year, which is kind of ridiculous to consider, when you realise the fact that it does not have that much reason to be hyped. It has a cameo from Batman, a tiny appearance from The Flash, the Joker is in it, and obviously he was a huge part of the marketing, but mostly it's kind of zealist characters. The most famous person in it is Will Smith, and he's not really a prominent part of the advertising. There's been quite a lot of stuff about sort of internet discussion metrics, like what is the most discussed film on social media, and obviously that kind of thing is not always entirely reliable, but Suicide Squad comes up top every time. It's above Star Wars, Harry Potter, Star Trek, all of the Marvel movies, well above Batman v Superman. When they aired the trailer at Comic Con, it was more popular than Batman v Superman. and in my experience, when you write any kind of news story about Suicide Squad, it is incredibly popular and everyone shares it on Facebook. And I mean, this film is not really to my taste. When I saw the trailer, I was like, I'm not gonna like this, but nothing prepared me for how bad it was actually going to be, right? (laughs) I thought it was going to be something that I didn't enjoy, because I don't really want to see an edgy, dark action film about bad people being like, haha, I'm so edgy, right? Which is kind of what it seems like it was going to be, and that's the reason why people were into it. They wanted something that was the opposite of being a wholesome Marvel film, but wasn't really depressing, like Batman v Superman. They thought it was going to be fun, and it was going to have, like, cool, sexy Harley Quinn, and it's going to be really rebellious, and it, oh my god, no... (laughs) It literally did not live up to any aspect of anything apart from the presence of Harley Quinn. She was there. (laughs) Yes, she was on screen. She was in the movie. And they even failed at really basic stuff, right? Because one of the things that made the film stand out before it came out was there's a lot of kind of neon stuff going on, and the costumes are a lot more brightly colored and fun than you generally see in more serious superhero films and I was actually quite into the neon stuff I found it refreshing it was sort of tacky and looked like Hot Topic from 2005 but I was like this is interesting it's a cool look to go for and also the trailers had really really big musical cues they used a lot of really noticeable songs and the soundtrack was really hyped there's a bunch of new music for this there's also tons of classic songs Kind of like Guardians of the Galaxy, they were clearly going for that sort of thing. And I am such a sucker for musical cues, right? I was watching Star Trek Beyond last week, like, yeah, Beastie Boys, this is amazing! Even though it's, like, so fucking dumb. But I was loving it. This (laughs) film is, like, the only movie I've ever seen where I did not give a shit about the musical cues. Because there were so many of them, they didn't feel like they had any impact. They had, like, Eminem, what are you... I also, I will fall for that shit
0: anytime, right? I don't particularly like Guardians of the Galaxy, but the music stuff in that, I was like, great. It's amazing. The Guardians of the Galaxy soundtrack deserves to be as popular as it is, right? (laughs) Right. And this film, there were so many of them that it was like they were layered on top of each other. And I was just like, no... The first half of this movie is basically just a montage of introductions to all of the different characters in this film, of which there are many. And they use a different music cue to introduce every single one of them, as though this is like a shorthand to explain the characters to it all of not. us. That's not enough. It doesn't work. This is like disorienting because there are so many songs in such a short period of time. This film clearly is kind of trying to rip off the Avengers and then also Guardians of the Galaxy. The music stuff, the fact they were at least sort of advertising the neon thing, like Guardians of the Galaxy is definitely uh, Marvel's most sort of visually striking movie, right? Like it's different looking, it's really brightly colored, but then it doesn't work in this movie like they didn't actually do that the musical cues don't work the sort of like team getting together thing which i don't think actually works that well in the guardians of the galaxy is even worse here well, by I found,
1: so the team thing i found that like every aspect of this film was so close to the avengers in a really entertaining way to me because a lot of the people who have really been rooting for this film are people who buy into the whole manufactured dc marvel rivalry And a lot of that is to do with like, oh, you know, these just really boring, formulaic Avengers movies. This film was like someone watched The Avengers. And without ever having Googled how to write a screenplay or make a film, they decided to make a really bad copy, but without any kind of authentic emotions. So (laughs) literally, as like Morgan said, literally the first half of the film is introducing all of these characters one by one. And immediately you have the problem of there not being any reason for most of them to be there right? because in the Avengers, each person in the team has a role they have some kind of skill that is explicitly useful and they can't do without and they have a role in the narrative in this film, the whole point is that Viola Davis's character, who we'll get to in a minute, she was great Um, Amanda Waller is this intimidating government agent who needs to recruit a bunch of superhumans to fight superhuman threats in case there is a quote unquote terrorist Superman, which fine, I find that an acceptable idea because the Batman v Superman universe is really dark, fine. But then they proceed to select eight or nine people, most of whom do not have useful skills or superpowers. So Harley Quinn, right, she doesn't have any superpowers. She's just someone who's really unbalanced and traumatized and likes to wear sexy outfits and can use a handgun fairly well. So she has good hand-to-hand combat skills for a regular person. Um, There's Captain Boomerang, who has boomerangs. There's Slipknot, who gets (laughs) killed after about 10 seconds, but his power is that he's good at climbing ropes. There's Killer Croc, who looks like a crocodile. He kind of has super strength, right? And he can swim well. But mostly he's just a man who looks like a crocodile, who's a weird racist stereotype in a kind of very dated and uncomfortable way. And um, who else is there on the team? There's yeah. o Katana, who is the one who's not actually a criminal. She's, For some reason, she's part of like the official US government liaison, but she's this Japanese woman who only speaks Japanese and has a magical katana that contains the soul of her husband that she just talks to, but doesn't have a role. She's just good at swords. Well, only... she shows up halfway through the film
0: after there are already, like, ten characters, and I literally couldn't believe it. I was like, are you <laughs> fucking kidding me? Like, there's another one? Why? Why? Why?
1: Yeah, so there's, there's basically only three characters who have powers that make sense. So there's Will Smith's character, Deadshot, who's sort of the most prominent one, who's a really good marksman, and he's an assassin. There's El Diablo, who is... A former gangster and he burned his family to death with his fire powers and we're supposed to be like he's really you know emotionally engaging because he doesn't want to use his powers anymore and it's like he murdered his family for no reason (laughs) he just had like a temper tantrum and killed everyone and then killed a whole (laughs) bunch of people in jail and then the third person is the military liaison played by Joel Kinnaman who is this character named Rick Flagg who's just a soldier and he's just incredibly dull yes I mean I can't
0: express how boring he is it nothing there's nothing coming.
1: I think we need to off. talk about his romance subplot, which is oh. possibly the worst romance subplot I've seen ever. It's yeah. a strong contender. I mean, it's not as bad as the Star Wars prequels, but like, it's yeah. a very strong contender for worst romance subplot ever. Well,
0: this ties into the villain plot, which I think may be the worst villain plot I've ever seen in a superhero movie. And, that is really and difficult
1: because I- superhero movies do not have a good trend
0: for i know i know i have to really i have to really analyze this but it's certainly a top contender again so the villain in this film is
1: a witch who
0: has taken over the body of cara de Lavinia, who is like a scientist or something she's an and...
1: archaeologist played by yeah. a 23 year old supermodel she has a phd and she's exploring alone some kind of implied to be somewhere in south america she finds a cave full of skulls and then gets inhabited by this witch demon and when she whispers the word enchantress she's inhabited by this demon which means that she suddenly starts wearing a kind of string bikini and is covered in black mud
0: yes it's really quite something and her goal is to destroy humanity because of reasons
1: i'm not even sure that's what it is right it's she wants her goal I mean, is unclear her goal is definitely that she's bad yes and she yes. resurrects her brother who's like another kind of witch god
0: yeah and amanda waller viola davis decides that rick flag should get romantically involved with this woman to and- help control her Right. She's very pleased with herself about this. But it doesn't...
1: Well, first of all, all she does is she just puts these two people in a room together. And then, of course, obviously... And then they fall in love. So the character who's sort of the academic person who we feel quite bad for, Cara Delevingne's human character, basically she's just there to be really upset all the time because she's possessed. And then Rick Flagg falls in love with her, I guess, because she's vulnerable and wants to protect her. But it's really unclear who amanda waller is trying to manipulate in this scenario because if he's really emotionally attached to this woman then it makes it harder for him to control her right so it makes him weaker and there's no reason to use any kind of emotional manipulation on the woman because the whole point is that amanda waller has the physical heart of the demon which she can sort of stab with voodoo pins and that means that she can control it and she keeps it in a locked box kind of like the coordinates to a nuke And the reason why Enchantress becomes the villain is she escapes the whole heart situation with her resurrected brother and is like, I'm going to do what everyone does in this type of film and create a portal thing, which is not explained. It's unclear whether it's a portal to another dimension or if it just kind of visually looks like that. It's very obviously the thing you get in a city in an action movie or a superhero movie that you have to shut it down. But, like, they don't explain it beyond that, and it's not clear why it's a threat, really.
0: Right. Like, she basically just stands in all this glowing light and belly dances for most of the film. For, like, an hour, yeah. Yeah. And then no one explains why any of this is happening.
1: Yeah. So it's, like, a really weak version of the Avengers thing where they have a portal where... Oh, yeah. They also have the drone soldier thing, right? Because, like, the whole thing in a lot of these films is it's easier to have drone soldiers because then you don't have to consider the moral qualms of murdering a whole bunch of enemies which is weird because yeah. suicide squad is extremely violent for a pg-13 movie and they kill loads of people anyway but um the villains thing is that she mind controls people she basically sort of turns them into a drone their face starts to look like frog swan and they, she just controls them but that means that every person that the good guys are shooting is just like a random civilian that they are killing right Which never gets discussed. No. Okay, sure. That's fine.
0: What? So, there are some structural issues with
1: this film. The whole structure.
0: First
1: of all, don't don't have, like, 45 minutes of your movie be dedicated to introducing the characters by having someone describe in a voiceover who they are with, like, trading card stats on the screen explaining what their powers are. Then they have, like, a little scene where maybe you get some emotional involvement but most of the time not. And then they all go together in a team, and it's like, okay, you're a team now. And then, obviously, they don't like each other, because they're all villains. And then, about three quarters of the way through, they suddenly arbitrarily decide that they're all family, and they love each other, and they'll do anything to save each other. And it's like, there's no reason why they would have bonded. They've known each other for six hours, and they've not been through anything.
0: Right. So, okay. And the only people in this movie who have any personality at all are... Viola Davis, who's actually playing a, like moderately interesting character, because she's kind of amoral, and like the fact that she's a woman makes that like moderately interesting, which is depressing, but like true. And also, Viola Davis could do anything with anything, and like it would be interesting. So like, fine.
1: I think um, if you're a DC Comics fan, then Amanda Waller is really the only character that gets treated with respect and authenticity from yeah. the way she is in the comics.
0: Yeah. Um. Will Smith is like doing his Will Smith thing he's such a movie star that, like, it's I fine. am
1: 100% sure that he rewrote most of his lines, because whenever yes. he keeps saying stuff, and I'm like, that is Will Smith's dialogue. He has just Wait. rewritten it.
0: You said that to me before I saw the movie, and then I was thinking about that as I was watching, and I was like, yep, yeah, she's right. Absolutely, for sure. It was uh, the scene where he's like... So they basically like go to visit all of them in prison to negotiate them getting out at least for a period of time to help deal with this problem, or not even deal with this problem, like to potentially deal with future problems. Uh, And he shows off his marksmanship and then is negotiating for what he wants to get let out. So like his motivation is that he really loves his daughter. And he's going on and on, and it's very funny. And then, like, makes some joke about white people. And I was like, there's literally no way that, like, Will Smith didn't come up with that. It's not possible. Like That's how that got in this movie. So, like, two of them, and then Margot Robbie, who plays Harley Quinn, is, like, the... I mean, that is a whole clusterfuck that we're going to talk about in just a minute. But there's another structural thing that I want to get to beforehand. Which is that, basically, the whole thing they're trying to do is get to the top of this like skyscraper in this city that's being destroyed kind of not really yeah, by it's unclear because thing. you
1: really don't see you don't see any civilian um, evacuation really and the whole thing is it's framed in a way that makes you think that it's going to be an action movie like the raid where the team is sent into this particular part of the city and then they have to go up this skyscraper to rescue an unidentified individual but then there is like no kind of satisfying action sequences or whatever they just go up the building well they the just light. are
0: like shoot people a lot yeah and it's like very dark and you can't really tell what's going on and then they go up the skyscraper and find out again like spoilers i guess that it's actually amanda waller up there and then they've been do- gone through all this to save her and then she goes up on the roof and is like i'm just calling my helicopter the next one will come for you and i was <laughs> like but I hadn't even considered why... that. She could have just gone to the helicopter. Right. I was like, why did they need to do this?
1: What's the point of And also like... there's nothing that they've done that couldn't just be done by a team of military people, right? right. Which is especially ridiculous because the suicide squad is kind of First of all, they have their military leader, who's like their minder, which is Joel Kinnaman's character, Rick Flagg. But they're also accompanied by a team of Navy SEALs. And it's like, why not just have them do this job, which doesn't appear to be super difficult. And also most of these people don't have powers. And Harley Quinn is just armed with a pistol
0: and is wearing six-inch heels. Yes,
1: And I realise this is kind of picking apart a film that's... It's it's a cartoonish film. but, but There's like a level of suspension of disbelief, which I can accept in any film of this type. And this movie careened over that cliff within the first 10 seconds.
0: Yes. But also, if literally the entire object of the movie is, we have to go save this person, and then you get to her and she's like, peace, I'm out of my helicopter. That's a problem. Because that means the entire, I mean, literally, they spend like 45 minutes Yeah. on that. And also,
1: But it's, it's like a double whammy. Because also, there's no reason to be recruiting these people because most of them don't have powers that are any use against a terrorist superman. Right. Or indeed the actual villain, because when you get to the final scene where they have to confront the Enchantress, obviously she has loads of really impressive powers. She, she can sort of do the mind control thing where she can make people envision their greatest desire. She can turn them into drones if she touches them. She can do this weird levitating thing where she's making the portal out of flying garbage or something. Um, and also she can teleport, right? She can go anywhere and vanish. And their plan is that they're just going to let off some C4 explosives underneath her general vicinity and blow her up. Which doesn't work. They mostly have just hand-to-hand physical combat skills. None of them have anything beyond that. And so she could just teleport anywhere and escape them. But they completely arbitrarily engineer this situation in the film where somehow they're able to defeat her, but it doesn't make any sense. Well, that scene is mostly shrouded in
0: fog. It is. They They shoot
1: the whole thing through fog.
0: None of it makes any sense at all. Um, I guess we can now talk about Harley Quinn, who is the only other like. Uh, I this thing that everyone was really excited about about this movie because she's like the most popular character.
1: Yeah, I mean Harley Quinn it. is DC's Deadpool. People love her. She's also, it would kind of be the first time that DC has done a female movie character that people are really into because. Harley yeah. Quinn, obviously, she's a huge sex symbol, especially the Margot Robbie type version of her, which is very obviously sexualized, which we're going to discuss. But she's also, loads of like female fans love her because it's so rare to see a female character who gets to be unapologetically weird and yeah. flawed, and she has this really troubled, abusive relationship with the Joker, which is kind of baked into the concept of her character, and it has a lot of problems in this film, and also general depictions of Harley Quinn. But she's quite a difficult character to write because you have to have someone who's meant to be supposedly insane and also really unbalanced, but also cool and sexy and has her whole character tied in with the relationship with a really evil man. Um, and David Ayer was not up to this task, or indeed any no. task related to this film. No, no, no. In the script so, that he wrote in six weeks. <laughs> oh my God. Literally
0: from the first shot of her... I mean, you could, of course, tell from the trailer that this is going to be a problem. But from the first shot of her in this movie, where she's, like, dressed in bedsheets, hanging seductively from the bars of her weird cage it made thing. It wonder,
1: because she's, oh, she's like... in jail. It's not like a women's jail. She's in just part of the Supermax prison where they house all these people. And she's in, like, a special Hannibal Lecter room. Yeah. Uh, for no real reason, because, like, there was no reason to really think that she is particularly likely to escape unless she seduces people but literally from that point I was like
0: oh no this is going to be really bad and it was so I don't read comics as I've said a number of times on this podcast but I am familiar with this character and the sort of backstory Um, but the depiction of the relationship with the, the Joker which oh my god jared leto in this movie what to say um is so uninterrogated and just gross like just totally disgusting so like the joker is crazy and he's in arkham asylum and she's his psychiatrist and he basically like manipulates her into falling in love with him and then like she brings him like a machine gun and he gets her out and then like Tortures her and she goes insane and then they're in love. It's like the,
1: it's
0: like tiny bite-sized version of this backstory, which is very disturbing.
1: Um,
0: and then there's this scene where they're like in a nightclub and she's like dancing very provocatively and he's talking to some other. Dude, it's
1: a gangster played by Common, who I did not recognize. And then I it was, did. I was
0: like, Common was it? Common is too good for this material. <laughs> I was like ninety five percent sure it was him, and then five percent of me was like, that
1: can't be, like this yeah. can't be, so, like, right? Common of all people, like the fucking poet laureate, is, play- is playing like this sort of generic mean gangster guy, and then the Joker is sort of trying to give Harley Quinn to him as a gift. I was like, this is a PG thirteen rated movie. What is going on? Why
0: is any... No. No, no. I I found all of that unacceptable based on the context in which the film is being shown, period. But if they had then later on sort of been like, actually, this is super fucked up, right? Yeah. And she's... Because the
1: behavior that Harley Quinn has in this film, right, is that she is... She's chosen clothes that she wears, um and that she's choosing the behavior she has, which is really sexualized and really kind of infantilized at the same time. And she's also really violent. And it's like the kind of the rationale behind this is that she's an abuse survivor and she's really fucked up and she's used to using her sexuality to get where she wants. But the film doesn't actually explore or even acknowledge or even hint to any of that. It's literally just right. played for a kind of, the male gaze audience's entertainment. Like, the camera's just constantly panning over her body. She's wearing booty shorts and a wet t-shirt for the whole film. There's all, like, constantly, constantly sexualized by the camera, right?
0: To an extreme degree. I mean, and then there was, like, something on uh Twitter I saw the other day that, like, there had been a bunch of sort of paparazzi shots of them filming this that, like, showed her costume. And then, like, a a shot from... I don't know if it was a recent trailer or what that they had like made the booty shorts slash really underwear like even shorter in the final product than they had been on set, and I was like, great, that's fantastic, like wonderful, wonderful. I'm not
1: surprised at all. But the thing I, is, right? Margot Robbie is so good. <laughs> She's so good in this movie because I Harley Quinn by far was like when I was watching this movie, I I was like, I feel I really feel protective of her. I'm enjoying her performance she is actually really engaging when she's not forced to say really shitty dialogue. She was doing the best possible job you could do with that crappy yes,
0: role. Yes. I totally agree. And it was just really depressing to me because I felt like it was really a microcosm of, like, all the problems that women face in Hollywood, but particularly women who get sexualized in this way. It's so, like, her first big role, as many people will know, was in Wolf of Wall Street, where she literally is just, like, her role is to be sexy. Like, that's the function i mean it's not like she acts in that movie like she has some stuff to do but like what everyone remembers her for in that movie is that she was naked like that's that's it's so what and i remember she kind of like,
1: had like a not really parody parody role of that in um the big short yeah the big short where yeah. they just kind of had margot robbie as herself lying in a bath explaining some economics to the audience because it was like hey me yes. need a cool distraction look at margot robbie in the bath and then there's, yep. you know, there's been a lot of stuff with, like, magazine profiles where the writer is just perving on her. And she's very much a sex symbol. And she's she's only been big in Hollywood for, like, two years. So she's not had enough time to establish other roles beyond that. She right. was in the Tarzan movie, which obviously everyone has already forgotten. It's been out for, like, ten seconds. And people love her as Harley Quinn. And she should have a solo movie because Harley Quinn is an interesting character and, like, people love her. And this <laughs> was so trashy and really aggressively creepy. Yes.
0: Creepy is really the right word. Like, I felt so uncomfortable watching it. And I enjoyed her too. Like, I thought, again, like, she and Will Smith and Viola Davis were the only redeeming things in this movie, like, at all. But, I just, it, it made me really uncomfortable and I just felt bad for her that she was in this
1: And also, you're on set having to do all all of of this. Like, all of the co stars in this film. So, she's on set. The average age of the women in Suicide Squad is like 24, aside from Viola Davis, who is not filming alongside them very much. You've got Katana, you've got Carla Delavine's character, and you've got Harley Quinn. They're all like in their early 20s. And then you've got all of these action hero guys who are aged 30 to 40 wearing heavy body armor and carrying guns. And you've got to go to work every day and wear booty shorts and stiletto heels and be sprayed down by fake rain by David Ayer for like months. Right. Like, Oh my God.
0: And I mean, the last sort of bigger thing that she did in the sense that it actually got some attention. I mean, Tarzan was huge budget, but again, like, no one saw that, and it's already been forgotten. Was uh the film Focus with Will Smith, which didn't wasn't like a huge like box box, hit, but it did pretty well. And like, Will Smith is too old to be romantically paired with Margaret. Well, I guess
1: he had kind of a parental like, relationship with exactly. And I had totally forgotten, like, I'd even read stuff
0: referencing the two of them being in that film together like days before seeing this. And had completely forgotten it until around three quarters of the way through the movie. And then I was like, oh, right. They were in that movie. That's so gross. (laughs) Because there is this kind of, like, parental thing. And the dynamic is the only one that remotely feels human at all. And that's really not, like, that's a testament to how bad the film is. Because there's really not a lot happening. It's just that it's, like, the bare bones of a human. I mean, the characters (laughs) that they try to
1: humanize in this film are Will Smith, uh, Harley Quinn, and El Diablo, which is hilarious, because it's, once again, <laughs> he set his family on fire because he felt angry.
0: It's just exhausting, the whole thing. And then again, like, Cara Living is, like, in a strings of whatever, basically naked. Why must we endure this? Like, I know, I know the answer, but it's just exhausting to watch.
1: I mean, <laughs> I feel like this film could easily just be shown in college classes, right? If you just think of the scene in Mad Max Fury Road, where they introduce all of the wife characters and they're wearing like scraps of fabric and they're hosing themselves down with water in the desert and it's not sexualized it's just like humans have bodies and sometimes they wear less clothes because it's hot it's like completely fine then there's this, yeah. where you've got a woman who's being like sprayed with water and wearing very little clothes, and it's just the creepiest thing, you feel like David Ayer's creepy eyes on you, and, like the audience is meant to be looking at this in a way where it's like, oh, isn't it great that she's this cool, rebellious, sexy woman who's really powerful, but also damaged, and she's being kidnapped by her stalker boyfriend, who's a serial killer. What?
0: <laughs> well, and also the Batman moment, oh my god, which we should really mention, Where, like, she and the Joker at one point are, like, running away from Batman, like, in a flashback, and they drive their car into the river, and, like, she sort of has half come out through the windshield, and he, like, dives in to get her, and it looks like she's passed out, but she's not, and he punches her in the face to knock her out. Which is kind of too much. Like, I don't really think this is necessary. Also, definitely
1: if Batman punches you in the face, then you break all of your face because he's wearing a giant gauntlet.
0: Exactly, which is not what happens. I don't think she even has bruises. And a bunch of these people in the audience laughed. And I was like, this is very uncomfortable. I don't really like this. But then he like takes her up onto the bridge and gives her CPR that's like mouth to mouth.
1: It is not, yeah, it's like, it's it oh, mo- It's like the most sensual mouth-to-mouth, anyways, <laughs> it is not, he is not breathing, he's literally just making out with an unconscious woman, and it's really weird, because it's Ben Affleck's Batman. <laughs> right, and then she kind of, like, wakes
0: up, and like, I don't know, laughs at him, and then he chokes her, and the whole thing was just like, what the fuck, like, what, I don't, what? What is anyone thinking? I don't understand. What, I, ugh. Oh. And then what's so amazing is to think about like her being forced to go through all this versus Jared Leto, and his performance oh my God. as the Joker.
1: So, so the thing <laughs> that really wows me about Jared Leto's Joker, obviously, I'm sure if you're listening to this, you've heard all the stories about like his method acting bullshit, where he was just being the worst coworker ever and like mailing rats and dead animals and bullets and used condoms to his coworkers and generally acting like a complete douchebag. And being like, I'm in character all the time because I have to inhabit the crazy twisted mind of the Joker. And like, the eventual result was completely banal. It was just not a good performance. It wasn't interesting. There was nothing about it that was good. It wasn't even well written. But also, the thing I kept thinking afterwards is that it's pretty normal for a recent Oscar winner to go and play some kind of either mentor or villain role in a one-off superhero movie or something of this type. And it's like, you get the money, you only have to film for like a few weeks compared to the action heroes. You don't have to do any bulking up. It's the ideal post-Oscar role. And you know, a lot of the time they just phone it in and it's fine because they've just got their Oscar person in there. With Jared Leto, it was like the exact opposite. He was like trying so hard to be like, I'm not phoning it in. This is the most intense thing of my life. It's going to be so good. The marketing for the film was so geared towards seeing how impressive he was. And then you watch the movie and you're like, there's literally no aspect of this that is good. I liked his costumes. And that is the end of anything about him that was any... And it wasn't even that it was distasteful, right? Because what I was expecting going to this film was that Jared Leto's Joker was going to be very unpleasant in a way that I didn't enjoy because obviously the Joker's meant to be unpleasant, but I thought it was going to be creepy. He was going to be gross and it was going to be nasty and I would not like it. It was none of those things. He was just like a gangster. He was just a gangster with green hair. He had some criminal underlings who he made wear silly costumes sometimes, but he didn't do anything... That was like the Joker. He did not do anything that illustrated the Joker's sense of humor or personality at any point, ever. Well, and what
0: was so funny is, like, I remember when he took that role, just being like, why would anyone sign up for this after Heath Ledger? Like, what? I mean, obviously someone had to do it, right? But, like, what on earth is the motivation for literally any human being to be like, that seems like a great idea for me to do? But... By God, he decided that that was, that was what he it's was going to like. It's kind of a palate play. cleanser
1: for whoever plays the next Joker in, like, ten right, years.
0: Right! Exactly! Like, can't get worse. And it's also kind of funny to me because... In Dallas Buyers Club, like, there was obviously sort of controversy about the casting of that role, which is fair, but, like, he's excellent in that movie. And then you watch this and you're just like, okay, like, I don't really know what was going on here. Like, and I mean, clearly just, like, a massive douchebag. Like, what the fuck?
1: I mean, honestly, it's just kind of like like when you go to a convention and there's someone who's cosplaying in character, sort of that level of acting, because he wasn't doing anything apart from sort of, you know, he was standing really close to people and doing scary facial expressions and doing a bit of a silly voice. Yeah. And then the rest of his Joker stuff was just the costume. And then occasionally you'd see him in a scenario like he was in his hotel room where they really painstakingly arranged like a thousand knives in a circle around him. It's like, who did the knife arranging? Was it the Joker? Was it his personal assistant? How did you do this? Oh my God. And apparently they also cut They did. They cut like a good 10 minutes of Joker stuff, which makes me very curious because it's pretty clear they cut quite a lot of material from this film because it's so disjointed but even with that material in it still wouldn't make sense, I don't think. Kind of like Batman v Superman. But if they cut the Joker stuff, how bad must that have been? Because people come to the movies for the Joker. They are expecting the Joker. People have been complaining that he's not in it enough. So it's like, how bad were those scenes (laughs) if they had to be removed, Warner Brothers? (laughs) I, I would love
0: to know. But yeah, that kind of gets back to what we were referring to right at the beginning about the production, post-production, whatever might have happened. There was an article in The Hollywood Reporter that we'll link to about what was going on with this film. So I think David Ayer, the writer-director, wrote this in six weeks, I believe, because he had to, not because he had a fit of inspiration and wrote it that fast. Like, that was his deadline. And then... The first trailer they put out, as everyone will recall, was full of jokes. And that's not the tone of the movie at all. And it was being received really well, particularly then after Batman v Superman got so panned, partially because it was so dark. So then I think they had to do a bunch of reshoots to try to make it funnier. Blockbusters all do reshoots, but not in this way, right? Like, they'll be in editing and be like, okay, so we need to fix... One or two minor problems, or like. But there, there genuinely
1: aren't even that many jokes in the film, right? There are because. Right. I mean, like, the jokes that were there, I did not find funny. But even jokes that I personally did not find funny were not present <laughs> throughout the film. It was right. mostly just really quite Batman v Supermanish. It didn't have the Zack Snyder kind of cinematography situation going on, but it was just really long sequences of people having conversations in front of piles of rubble in the dark. Right. But so then apparently Arrow was working on his cut and the
0: studio didn't like it. And so then they had like the people who made the trailer do a different cut simultaneously and then did test screenings with both of them. And then the trailer makers cut did better. And so that's the one they used. What the fuck? That is like, that does not happen. Like for people who are listening to this who don't really keep up with the sort of like insider Hollywood stuff like that's that doesn't occur. Like trailer People who do trailers do not get asked to come in to like do cuts of movies. That's not a thing. So you kind of look at it and it's like, this is such a sort of archetypal um, example of what's going on with these big studios and these franchises right now, I think, in terms of just not being able to let go of anything take any risks or be willing to hire anyone who's actually talented and let them just do something and i get that they can't hire like a totally out there person and let that person like take a like make something crazy i mean
1: and, but there's and also a, i mean like, obviously throughout this podcast i've kind of been shitting on david ayer which i don't feel terribly bad about because this film was completely his but also the idea of writing a screenplay in six weeks is just bananas right, right? like it's not it's a very very bad screenplay But at the same time, you know, there's a lot of movies of this type that take fucking years of rewrites. You know, they go through multiple people, they get polished behind the scenes. This thing just was following the shittiest superhero movie formula with about 15 extra characters plugged in and terrible dialogue. And at no point did Warner Brothers think, hmm, maybe we should pump the brakes on this one and wait six months.
0: Right. And... One of the things about the different cut was that they basically, like, added a bunch of characters. So, like, his version had many fewer, and then the audiences liked the one with a bunch more characters more. So that's part of the problem, I think, with having, like, a bunch of people who had like, five lines was that. Like, I'm not defending him. I think he clearly did a bad job. But I think it is hard to sort of tell, like, what exactly was whose fault. I think everyone is at fault.
1: I want to hear from whichever person greenlit the script that had a nine-person team of characters you've never met before (laughs) because none of them have roles.
0: It's really baffling and it makes me wonder what the sort of long-term plan is, right? Because basically, because of all the reshoots and stuff and all the various expenses from the different cuts uh, and the marketing and all this, you know, these movies are very expensive but this one particularly so because of all these problems. Like, I think the statistic in that article, which again, like, you can check for accuracy was that it needs to make something like 700 million dollars yeah. to be profitable
1: so a lot of the time people compare the ticket sales to the budget that you, you know you just look at a wikipedia page for a movie and it's like this movie cost 200 million dollars that is how much it costs to film there's a bunch more for advertising and shit like there's tons of other costs there's the studio's costs and then obviously the money does not go directly from the theaters to the studio like it goes through you know it has to pay the cinemas or whatever um, right and this film, you know, according to this article in the Hollywood Reporter, needs almost three quarters of a billion dollars to like actually turn a profit. Which after Batman v Superman, it was such a high stakes thing and the idea that they were gambling this much money on a film that stars a bunch of Z list characters that no one really cares about is so mind boggling. And now all of that pressure is gonna be rolled over to Wonder Woman. Part of this is just the essential nature of making movies,
0: right? Like you you can't just decide, like, well, we're going to put out another one in six months to try to, like, you have to make them a couple years in advance. But when they're doing these movies that cost so much money and they're planning them years ahead, I mean, they put out, when DC put out its sort of like list of films a couple years ago, it was through five years. At some point, like, the audience is going to decide, actually, we don't like this very much. Like, it doesn't mean that no one's going to show up for these films. Right away, but the sort of assurance that this is how it's going to be forever, and that all of these movies are going to be popular forever, and this type of film is going to be popular forever, like that's not actually how it works. And something like this, again, going to have a huge box office the first weekend, but people don't like things that are completely shitty all the time. But not just
1: shitty. It's the same thing as Batman v Superman, right? Because it's like you've got the combination of it being legitimately a very shitty film. But also emotionally, it doesn't give you a positive feeling. Because you can make... I mean, I'm not saying the Fast and Furious movies are bad, because all of them are masterpieces. But if you make a really (laughs) bad Fast and Furious movie, it's not going to give you the same nasty feeling as watching Batman right. and Superman because it's just a film about friends and in the end you've had a cheerful time at the cinema watching a bunch of friends crash cars whereas with this they've tried arbitrarily in like the final acts of the film to try and engage some emotional attachment between the characters but it doesn't function like it doesn't actually work and for most of the film it's just unpleasant people being assholes and not in a funny way like Deadpool right because the whole concept of Deadpool is it is an R rated movie with a funny asshole in the lead role which this was right. not
0: well, and that's the problem with, like, betting all of this on something that has no proven success rate, right? So, like, obviously Marvel picked all of these characters who weren't particularly known or popular except among comics people, but they didn't do it all at once with all of this money. Like, they started with Iron Man, and Iron Man did really well, and then they did Thor and Capture Man. Like, it, it and was And also, a they had, I mean, this is something that
1: people have discussed a lot, but they also had, like one person in charge who kind of had a vision, yes, which is exactly. the whole thing with DC. Like, the closest thing they have to that is Zack Snyder, um, who has been proven now twice in a row is not terribly good at this.
0: Because right. the reason
1: why those films are so like made so much money is mostly due to the brand recognition of people having heard of Batman and Superman. And if that gets tarnished, then you're in big,
0: big trouble. And so much of this is reliant also upon children. And these movies are not suitable for children. (laughs) Like, people will take their kids anyway. There was a woman with a one-year-old baby. This film, possibly slightly younger, but, like, around one. And she left after five minutes because uh, the baby was screaming, which was shocking to me. But five-year-olds or whatever like these characters, five to, you know, 13. Obviously, you don't stop at 13. But, like, that's a big age group for, like, people really getting into... This type of stuff. And like, I just can't imagine being that age and watching a movie like Batman v Superman or this movie and being like, I love this. Whereas if you then watch something like Captain America.
1: You can watch Thor and Iron Man as like a six year old and basically get it. There is an arc that you can follow (laughs) that has feelings and friendship and that sort of thing. And I'm not saying this is the thing, it's making it sound like I'm just like a real downer for kind of the darker type of superhero movie. Which I'm not. If if Suicide Squad had actually had any kind of message or emotional impact or if it had been a good action movie, right? If it had been like an R-rated film about a bunch of people who are very clearly bad people and it's an action film along the lines of The Raid or Dread or whatever, I would have been like, great, fine. You've done something that is different and it's kind of fulfilling the goal of widening the genre to include other stuff, right? It did not do any of that.
0: (laughs) No, and I think this gets to the fundamental problem with the movie which is this a complete lack of self-awareness about what it is and what they're doing at all. Like I mean I mentioned before The Dark Knight is probably my favorite superhero movie and it's pretty fucking dark, but like they know what they're doing. Whereas this big last thing that I want to talk about is the violence in this movie so much of it was just this like orgy of gun violence. That I found really distasteful and disgusting, based on like what is going on in the country right now. And like, I don't have a problem have a problem with guns being used in movies. Like, it's fine. I don't subscribe to the theory that like because of guns in movies and video games, like this is why violence happens in society. Like, I don't think that's true. But there was so much like glee taken in the use of guns in this movie. Will Smith's character, in particular. Um, With no sort of, like, reflection on this at all. And they keep saying throughout the movie, like, we're the bad guys, remember? As though to, like, remind us about this being the case. But no actual consideration of any of the morality of anything that's going on. So, like, that gets back to the whole thing with Diablo, like, murdering his whole family. It's like, that's actually bad.
1: But the movie isn't anyway any way sophisticated enough to think about that. There is one interesting theme which I would have liked to see explored at more length, which is the fact that the US government has decided to recruit a bunch of supervillains and then implant things in their necks that explode if they don't obey their orders. Now, yeah. that is the kind of dark moral theme which I can really get my teeth into for a film like this, right? Yeah. If you combine that kind of thing, which is like really intense and dark and also ties into things that kind of militaries and governments do in real life. And then you combine that with some characters who actually have some kind of Deadpool Wolverine-esque charm, like people who are really bad but entertaining to watch. That would be the Suicide Squad film that would be good. That would be the one that I would personally like and also the one that would just in general have some kind of vague narrative themes to explore. But instead it really was just kind of pointless violence and it wasn't shot in a good way, right? Because... I'm a big action movie fan. We talk about action and sci-fi a lot on this podcast. And there was no point in just shooting characters for shooting people's sake, right? Because in the introductory scene of this movie, you have Will Smith showing off his sniper skills in a really cool and fun way. And then he sort of rappels down a wall. And that was, I think, the only point of well-shot action in the entire fucking movie. Yeah. Everything else was just like, here are some characters in like a melee, but... They're not using their powers in an interesting way, like you see in the Avengers, where they've actually thought about what everyone's powers are to balance each other out. And they're not doing anything impressive. And you can't really tell what's going on. And also you don't care about who wins the battle because most of the main characters are not very likable. And also the villain is very unclear. And when they eventually get to the point of having to defeat the Enchantress, although you know that they have to defeat her because there's like a portal thing, and that's just visual shorthand that you see in every movie, they haven't really gone through any sort of conversation like, oh, if you don't shut down this portal, your children will die. No, there's just like, oh, I guess we should do what? What? It's
0: really, really bad to a pretty stunning degree. Like, I, I just, I'm fascinated to see if, if their future movies are going to be hurt by this because it feels like they really should be. Like, people go to a lot of bad movies, like the Transformers movies do quite well throughout. I think
1: people find it very easy to detach Suicide Squad from the general yeah rest of the fight because it's like it's so clearly different even though there is like a couple of cameos from batman or whatever it's not the same as wonder Woman. people are going to show up for wonder Woman and aquaman
0: oh i think wonder woman is definitely gonna do well i mean wonder Woman looks good and i'm pretty
1: optimistic about aquaman but that's mainly because i i'm biased and i want aquaman to be good (laughs) i want to see the mermaid movie (laughs) but i would love
0: aquaman and the flash to be good like, that would make me happy. But at this point, I'm not really optimistic about any of these films. Yeah. I don't believe anything until I see it. More and obviously Snow Justice League. Morgan
1: down worn-out old cynic.
0: It's true. It's true. But which yeah, is
1: that's why it's lucky that next week's episode is going to be so yes. optimistic. Yes. And inspirational. <laughs> We're going to be talking about the Olympics,
0: which are my favorite capitalist nightmare in the whole wide world. <laughs>
1: Morgan, as regular listeners will know, is generally a sports fan and a huge Olympics fan. And I am so just, I just don't even know that sports happen, right? So, yesterday <laughs> when the Olympic opening ceremony was happening last night, and I saw the opening ceremony was trending on Twitter, and I was thinking, I wonder what the fashion label opening ceremony has done to warrant trending worldwide. <laughs> and it took me like a couple of looks to figure out that, oh yeah, the Olympics are happening. Something that like <laughs> Morgan, who I speak to every day, is very involved with. <laughs> so we're going to talk about that next week. I think it's going to be kind of a reversal of when we did a Black Panther episode and Morgan just asked me questions and then I talked a lot. Because the only things I know about this year's Olympics are all the stuff about the real infrastructure and kind of Zika and that sort of thing. I do not know anything about yeah so we'll talk a little bit
0: about both of those things next week we'll get into the like what the fuck is happening in rio we'll see if anything goes down this week and then also about michael phelps being a dolphin gabby douglas etc uh so yeah come back next week for that thank you for listening As always, if you enjoyed this episode, we would really appreciate uh, you leaving a rating or review on iTunes or whatever podcast service you listen on. That's how we find new listeners. And you can also find us on overinvestedpodcast.com, on Twitter at overinvestedpod, and on overinvestedpodcast.tumblr.com. Bye.